Good morning, everyone. Hey, we are really getting close to finishing the story that we started all the way back in the fall in September. And, and really, this is where the story just comes together because it's all fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So all the Old Testament prophecy, all the things that were symbolized in the, in the Old Testament are, are now going to be seen in the fulfillment of Christ. And really what I want to look at today is really the purpose of why Jesus came. I mean, there's a reason why he came. And, and it wasn't just to, to be a nice person and just to be a prophet and just to, to heal people. And, and all those things he did and he fulfilled But really, there was a reason why Jesus came. And I think it it helps us to answer probably a question that all of us have been answered one time or another in our lives, or even a question that we have in our own mind is, is why is there so much suffering suffering in the world? Why why does God allow suffering? I think when we look at the suffering Savior and what Christ did for us, what my prayer is for you today, it's going to help maybe make a little bit more sense of why there's suffering in the world today and what Jesus did through the cross, through his own suffering, that gives us hope and a little better understanding of the world that we live in today. Here's the thing that I think is paramount in our, in our lives today. In order to understand the world and understand how the world works and, and the mess that the world is in today, you have to have a Christian worldview. You, you have to see the world through biblical eyes. You have to see the world through what God tells us it is and and what it's become and how we fix it. And unless we see it that way, we're left up to our own demise to try to figure out the answers to the problems that we're in. And how many know that our world's a mess? How many know that that we've made a mess of it by trying to fix it ourselves? How many know that education is not going to fix our world? It's just, it's just not. Um, How many know that, 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 uh, Lower gas prices, uh, higher wages, blah, blah, blah. How many know that's not going to ultimately fix our world? The problem in our world stems from one thing. And this is what we have to get right. And and this is going to help us kind of put the points together of why Jesus had to come and suffer and why Jesus had to come and die on a cross. Because it was God's will. Ultimately, Jesus was, was subject to the will of God, not the will of man. And this was God's will that his son would suffer on our behalf. So in order for us to to understand suffering, in order for us to understand why the world is in the mess that we're in today, in order to put all these pieces together, we have to go back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, where we started back uh, in September. And we have to look at the point that man ultimately sinned against God. And so this is paramount this is so important for us to understand because what happens here in genesis is sin because of man's rebellion against god sin separates us from god and nothing unholy can stand before god and so from this time on man's sins needed to be atoned for or needed to be covered and that's why adam and eve that's why they felt shame because of their nakedness and they hid and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves and yet god said this wouldn't be enough so god actually provided for them skins of animals to cover them we see that in genesis chapter 321 and actually this was the first blood sacrifice which would later be instituted by moses for the atonement of sin and so why why the sacrifice well here's the reason why there, there, there was a penalty that was attached to our sin and our rebellion. Something had to be offered in order to appease God's holiness. And so from the very beginning, God set an order 
a plan of redemption to save mankind. From the very beginning, God sent this order of redemption to save mankind. In fact, the Apostle Paul explains what happened when sin came into the world in Romans 5, uh, verse 12. He talked about the death in Adam and life in Christ. And, And Paul explains it this way. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so sin spread to all men because all have sinned. Every single one of us, the Bible says, has fallen short of God's perfection or God's glory. We have all sinned. And so Adam is this kind of representative of mankind. When he sinned, sin was brought into the world. And because of that, uh, sin spread to all men. And we are all born in sin. And we all need a savior. We need redemption. And God, in his infinite love for us and his care for us, did not leave us in this state of, of, of sin, he says, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to redeem you back to me. And so the result of sin, the Bible says, is death. And many might think that, that death is natural, but it really isn't. It's, in fact, it's really the last enemy. That's why people fear death. That's why people try to avoid death at all costs, those that don't know Christ. Because the hope for a follower of Christ is that he will conquer death through uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our hope, that even though we die, we live. So the whole point of the story, the book that we've been reading and going through in the story of the Bible, the whole point of the story is we need a redeemer. That's the bottom line. We need a savior. We are sinners in need of redemption and in need of a savior. And so all the sacrifices that we've seen in the Old Testament, all those things pointed to the fact that we needed forgiveness of our sins. And when you read through the Old Testament, you see that they offered, continually offered sacrifices after sacrifices. And God would say, one day, I'm going to bring a perfect sacrifice for you that for once and for all will take care of your sins, that you don't need to keep coming back to me to get this temporary atonement for your sins and forgiveness. But I'm going to send you a perfect sacrifice and my perfect son who is perfect in every way that will die a perfect death and be a perfect sacrifice for you and I. So God provided for us what we couldn't provide for ourselves, and that's Jesus. So the question is, why did Jesus have to suffer? Well, what I want to do is I want to look at this wonderful prophecy that was written about Jesus some 700 years before his birth. And this will explain his suffering and why he is that perfect Savior. And Isaiah the prophet gives us probably the most detailed prophecy of Jesus' suffering. And and I want to read this to you because it kind of sets the foundation of why Jesus was an offering for you and I. Because I I want you to understand, our sin was so great. There was such a huge chasm between us and God. There was no way that we could bridge that gap between uh, us and God and to renew that relationship with God through our own strength. And this is the futility of man of trying to atone for their sins in their own strength. And this is what we do. We, 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 we so vainly believe that if, I, if I'm just a good person, if I'm just good enough, God will forgive me. Because everybody thinks they're going to heaven. If you ask everybody, well, yeah, I think I'm going, because I'm a lot better than Hitler was, right? And we compare ourselves with other people, don't we? But the bottom line is we've got to compare ourselves with God because God is perfect and nothing unholy can stand before God. So if that's true, then there's nothing in me that could ever stand before a holy God because I'm marred because of sin. 
And so God says, listen, you can't do it in your own strength. You need me. You need me in order to bridge this gap. You can't do it through your good works. You can't do it through your church attendance. You, 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 it's not that your good works uh, are, are greater than your bad works and that I have a checklist in heaven. And as long as your good works outweigh your bad works, then you're able to enter into heaven. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. God doesn't work on a merit system. It doesn't happen. And so we need a savior. We are helpless without him. So let's read Isaiah here. Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 10. And let's see uh, this prophecy about Jesus himself and what he, would, what he would do for us. This is so good. Isaiah 53, it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he bore our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Can I get an amen? That, that's that's a lot of hope there. And it says, All we, and now pointing to us, we are like sheep, we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, laid on him, laid on Christ, the sin or the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken and for the transgressions of many people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I got one word. Wow. How, how, how more specific can you be about what Jesus specifically did for us? A prophecy written 700 years before the life of Christ. I can't imagine anyone not reading the Old Testament and not seeing that fulfillment and that prophecy fulfilled in Jesus himself. This was the will of God for his son to suffer. Isaiah vividly describes exactly what happens to Jesus in the last days of his life. In fact, Isaiah describes the way Jesus looked even after his beatings. In Isaiah 52, 14, it says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and, and, and his formed marred beyond human likeness, describing what happened uh, because of his floggings and the death on the cross and all those things that completely marred his figure. 
You see, what's so amazing to me about this prophecy is its accuracy. Jesus was innocent, yet, yet was led through a bunch of bogus trials to try to convict him. And Isaiah said that he was innocent and no violence was found in him. And it's interesting as you look at what Jesus went through even before his death was, was so perfectly in line with what Isaiah prophesied about 700 years earlier. All the acts that Isaiah describes would show the darkness of man's heart and the sin that laid beneath our hearts. Uh, and we can so clearly see this in the way Jesus was judged and the way he was treated uh, as he went to the cross. The religious Jewish leaders didn't have the power to kill Jesus. So what they did is they brought, the, they brought him before uh, the Roman official, Pilate. Pilate interrogates Jesus, finds nothing to convict him of. So to appease the religious leaders, they had Jesus flogged. Now, what's interesting about this, uh, the floggings usually led to death because they were so brutal. Uh, for this reason, you would literally take the victim and you would strap them around a pole and you would beat them with a flagellum. And basically what a flagellum is, is a stick about two feet long with leather straps coming out from it, laced with glass, bone, and metal. And what you would do is you would lie the victim across this pole and you would take this flagellum and you would whip the back and basically the bone and the metal would catch onto the back of the victim's skin and basically tear the skin and rip the skin wide open. This was so horrible that most would die of blood loss. Now, Jesus didn't die from this. Um, this was all done before the crucifixion. Jesus was given a 75 to 150 pound cross to carry on his back after he had been flogged. And then eventually we know that someone else carried his cross because he was so weakened by the flogging. And then it was on this tree that Jesus would be crucified. So this all led up even before the crucifixion. This is what, what Isaiah was describing for us, the suffering that Jesus went through. Now you think, well, well pastor, why, why describe this? Because I don't, you know, I don't want to hear this, okay? Um, this, this is so brutal. Here, here's the thing I want you to understand. We need to look at the physical beating of Christ for this reason. Not, not just to be gruesome, but to understand that it's symbolic of the gruesomeness of our sin. Jesus hanging on a cross and blood flowing from having a, 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 a thorn that was made into a mockery of a crown being thrusted onto his forehead, blood dripping down, nails thrust into his hands and his feet, a spear into his side. The reason why we need to see this and understand this is that it symbolizes our sin that Jesus was dying for. People, let, let me just say this. No matter how we slice it, dice it, cut it, get your amazing muli out, get your bamboo steamer out and try to make everything nice and neat and, and wonderful, right? Put potpourri on it, try to make it smell good. Sin stinks. It stinks. And, 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 and it's a stench in God's nostrils. And no matter how much we try to make it nice, nice, it's ugly and it separates us from a holy God. God wanted us to see a visual reminder of how our sin has separated us from God. Every sacrifice, every blood sacrifice that was done in the Old Testament was a reminder 
that death had to occur in order to appease God's holiness. There was a penalty that was attached to our sin. And when we're able to see the suffering Savior and what he did for us, it it should bestow grace and mercy into our hearts, saying what a loving Savior we had. And to the nth degrees that he went to to save us from our sin. The moment I desensitize myself to my sin and I try to cover it and I try to make it smell good. You know, when, when we call an adulterous uh, 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 when someone cheats and someone is adultery, we call adultery an affair, right? That sounds not nicer, doesn't it? Well, they had an affair, right? God calls it adultery. See, we've got to look at sin and call it for what it is. And it's rebellion against God. And so the death of Christ is gruesome. It is ugly. It's not pretty because our sins aren't pretty. Amen? Okay, so we, we've got we've to grab hold of this. And so there on a tree, Jesus hung and was crucified. There was nails that were placed. And, and most likely what, what many scholars believe is, 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 the, is the nails were thrusted between the radius and the ulna, which basically, if a nail was placed in the hands, it could easily rip through because you've got to hold the weight of the victim, uh, of, of the criminal on the cross. And so most likely there's a gap between your radius and your ulna. And, and if you thrust a nail through that, there's a gap through there that would much easier hold the victim up. And so here the nail is thrust through these two bones. There's a pocket. You can actually feel it in between uh, your, your, your forearm there. And, and there's no way that you're going to come off the cross. And in that same spot, very interesting, is your medium nerve uh, goes through there. And if you would put a nail there, you would feel this excruciating pain all the way up your shoulder. And so why was crucifixion so brutal? What, was it, just a, it was a slow death uh, of just suffocation. And, and basically, you would, every time you try to pull yourself up, you're trying to catch another breath. And so you would get to the point to where you could not lift yourself up any longer. And many times, um, victims would hang up there. And basically, in order to, to, to speed up the, the death process, they would, they would kill the victim. They would thrust a spear in the victim's side to kill them so that they would die. Many times, they would leave the victim up on the cross so everybody could see um, and, and create terror within the hearts of those that would want to commit atrocities against Rome. It was very, very brutal. And so you got this slow death of suffocation, asphyxiation. It's horrible. And you'd get to the point to where you could not take another breath. And so why is this written for us? Why, why did Jesus have to suffer? Well, Isaiah says that it was the will of God for him to suffer. He suffered for our Sins in, in Luke in Luke uh, chapter twenty three verses forty four through forty seven talks about this of the death of Christ. It said, and, and I want you to the symbolism here because this is really important for us uh, for us to understand what Jesus dying for our sins. Um, verse forty four it says, and it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sunlight failed, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into my hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now there was a certain centurion who saw what had taken place. And he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. 
Now, this is very significant because darkness here uh, signifies mourning, uh, God's divine judgment over man. At this point, Jesus was bearing the wrath of God upon himself. God himself poured out his wrath upon his son, which should have been poured out on us. Jesus became that sacrifice. And so all the darkness, uh, all the evil, all the hatred now is placed on Christ himself through his perfect life. He became our substitute on the cross. Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So literally, darkness enveloped the whole land, symbolic of what was actually happening to Jesus. The curtain being ripped in half in the temple is so significant because that was the barrier that separated us from God. That curtain, every time a worshiper would come in and see that curtain, they knew that they could not enter in through that curtain because they would die in God's presence. The only way to enter in through that curtain was through the high priest and through a blood sacrifice. No one could just enter in through the curtain. There were specific regulations for someone entering in behind that curtain, and God had set that up for them. And so by the curtain being torn from top to bottom symbolized that there was no more barrier between God and man, that God accepted the sacrifice of his very own son for you and I. This curtain was huge, by the way. It was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. Huge. And by this ripping in half symbolized there was no more barrier between us and God because Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. And so what happens here is Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. It was complete. And through Jesus, we now have this direct access to God. And Hebrews 9.12 says that he entered uh, once and for all into this holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for you and I. So now through Christ Jesus, through my faith in him and believing that his sacrifice was perfect for my sins, the Bible says we now have direct access to God the Father. We can go directly to God through Christ Jesus and through his sacrifice. And the Bible says that God will hear us. He'll hear our cries and that we can find mercy and grace in our time of need because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to dig into this a little bit. And what does this mean for you and I today? How does, how do we apply Jesus's death um, in our hearts today? How do we, how do we live this out in our lives each and every day? Because this is, this is imperative because if we miss this, we're going to, we're going to miss the freedom and the redemption that God desires to give us. Because the problem is we all struggle with sin. And, and, and there might be habitual sin that you struggle with. Um, there might be your past guilt and condemnation that you struggle with each and every day. And I'm not here to say that we're not going to struggle and traverse through this world without ever struggling with temptation. That's something different. But I'm here to tell you that through Christ and through the power of his sacrifice, Jesus Christ can set us free from our past. Jesus Christ can set us free from the, from the guilt and the condemnation that's associated with our past. And we can walk in that new freedom, in that new life that Jesus Christ desires to give to each and every one of us. 
Because there's so many times we try to do it in our own strength and then and we just fail over and over and over again. And these past things haunt us and, and, and they keep coming back. And we're like, how do I overcome this? Well, through the power of Jesus Christ, you can overcome those things. So let, let's, let's apply what Jesus Christ has done for us. The Bible says that, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us, those that follow Jesus Christ. So we do have the victory through him. And we can live joy-filled lives. And we can live lives of victory through Christ Jesus, even though we're faced with temptation, even though we're faced in a world that is not perfect by any means. Through Christ Jesus, he can help us to overcome. So let's, I, w- I just want to look at a couple things here uh, that can help us personally uh, in our own lives. First of all, here's, here's what we need to do. If we're going to embrace the death of Christ and what he did for us, and if we're going to embrace the power of God's redemption to save us, there's a couple things we need to understand. First of all, you need to own it. Here's, here's the hardest step, I believe, for every single one of us in order to find forgiveness in Christ, it's to own it. How many of you, the hardest thing to come out of your mouth is, I'm sorry, right? You ever watch Happy Days with Fonzie and he, he has to admit that he's wrong and he always says, okay, I was, right? He can't say it. I was, right? He can't say it. And, and I think that's the hardest thing for us to admit is that we are wrong. Here, here's what we have to do. In order to embrace what Christ has done for us, I have to own it. I have to understand that I messed up. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of God's perfection. I have to admit that I have sinned against a holy God. Own it. Just own it. Embrace it. And that was the hardest thing for me when I came to Christ because what my biggest roadblock was I would compare my life to other people. So for me, I was like, well, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't do this thing. When I would hear people's testimonies and they would say, oh, Christ, you know, he saved me. And now I don't do all these things. I said, well, that's good for you. Ooh, good for you. If you need Jesus, good for you, right? You ever patronize people like that? Like if you or someone's done that to you, like, well, that's just good for you. You ever tell somebody your testimony? You're like, man, this is what Jesus has done for me. He's helped me all this stuff. He helped me overcome alcohol and all this stuff. And they look at you and they're going, well, good for you. Isn't that special? Right? Whatever works for you, right? You ever heard that? And then you just want to slap the person. Like, you don't get it. You don't understand what Christ did for me. So here's the thing. I was one of those people and I thought I didn't even until God revealed to me that my sin stinks just like everybody else's sin. That I'm a sinner. Even though I may not have committed these other things, I was a sinner. I lied. I cheated. I've done all these things and then, and then I've tried to whitewash it and make, well, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't this. And God says, Barden, you've fallen short of my perfection. Until that, I didn't realize that I needed a sinner or that I was a sinner, that I needed a savior. Until I realized that, then I fell on the mercy and grace of God. One of the shortest letters ever written to an editor was by G.K. Chesterton. And it read, Dear Sir, in response to your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> Plain and simple. That's what we are. Okay, so, so let's just own it. That's the first step. You got to own it. I'm a sinner. I need saving. Jesus is the only one that can provide that for me. The next thing is you, you've got to declare it. Not only do you have to own it, but you have to declare it. You, you say, I have to realize that I am helpless 
without God. And I can't do it in my own strength. I need a savior. I can't fix myself. I don't need a Jesus that will be a means to my end or a tack on Jesus just to get me to the place where I'm going. We need to come to Christ and we need to abandon everything. We need to declare it saying, God, I need you. I am helpless without you. So when you own it and you declare it, what begins to happen is God's grace will then flood into your life. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Every single one of us in this room are no better than anyone else. In fact, the, the, at the foot of the cross, that, that, that place is level. There's not one person that comes across that's higher than someone else or better than someone else. We all come as sinners, plain and simple. No matter how well you think you've lived your life or how many sins you've committed or not committed, it doesn't matter. The Bible says we've all fallen short of God's perfection and glory. I like what Ravi Zacharias says here. He says, living in an evil world makes it much easier for me to understand my own wickedness than think in a crystal clear terms of perfect purity. You see, what a great quote, because, because living in an evil world makes me look at my own wickedness and say, man, I'm a sinner too. And isn't it easy to look at the world and say how bad they are? And God says, Bard, you need to look in the mirror. You know, it's only by my grace that I've saved you. Stop sticking your nose up to the world and humble yourself before me. Living in an evil world makes it much easier for me to understand my own wickedness than think in a crystal clear terms of perfect purity. So not only do you need to own it, declare it, but the last thing, here's the big thing, here's the step. Are you ready? Here's what all comes to God. I know this wasn't a touchy, feel-good sermon, all right? I, this was a tough one, all right? I knew I'd go, man, i got to preach this sermon to a bunch of 730 people that woke up early, right? This is a tough one. But here it goes. Are you ready? Here's where it all comes together. Because these two steps mean nothing, nothing, unless you believe it. They mean nothing. I mean, there's so many people that will sit there and say, oh, yeah, I, I, I was one of them. I was one of those people before I was became a follower of Christ and God saved me at age 16. I was one of those people that if you were to ask me, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin? You know what I would have said? Yeah. Do you go to church? I would have said, yeah. Do you go to Sunday school? I would have said, yeah. Um, do, you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I would even have said yes, but you know what? I was still a sinner. I was dying and going to hell because I didn't really believe it. I didn't live it. I just, it was like, okay, whatever you, yeah, sounds good. I was just indifferent. It didn't change my life. But here's the difference. When you believe it, it changes everything. When you take a step of faith and really believe that God can change you, it changes everything. So what I did as a 16-year-old boy, and someone confronted my sin, and said, you've got to step out in faith and believe this, that Christ did it for you personally. Then my life changed. All the things I learned in Sunday school, all those things came to fruition. I'm like, wow, that's what the teacher was talking about, right? I could have had a V8, boing, right? I get it now. And, and it was only God who did it because it was my belief and my faith in Christ. And God changed my heart. 
So you've got to believe it. Here's the thing you've got to believe. That God can use your pain for his son's glory. You've got to realize that you, you, you can't waste your pain. As hard as it is, as hard as we go through this world, as yucky as this world is, God can still use the yuckiness of our pain and our past for his glory so that you can be a trophy of his grace. That you can be a shining example that God can take something broken and redeem it for his glory. How can I relate to you if you were perfect and nothing was wrong and you say, okay, now I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I really messed up my life. I cannot relate to you, right? But when we tell the world, hey, I'm a sinner just like you. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. We may have lived different lives. We made different choices, but I'm a sinner just like you. I made a ton of mistakes and God saved me through his grace. And I'm a trophy of his grace, not because of what I've done or because I merited or because there's anything good in me. It was because Christ first loved me and gave his life for me. Now we're all on the same level. Now we're all on the same playing field. We've got to believe it. We've got to believe that God is going to use it for his glory. Malcolm Muggeridge makes this great quote. He was a journalist that became a Christian English journalist, and, and I love his quotes. Malcolm Muggers, if you ever read any of his quotes or stuff, it's just really good. But this is what he says. He says this. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything that I've learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. Whether pursued or obtained, in other words, if it were possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence by some means of some drug or other medical mumbo-jumbo, the result would make it too banal and trivial to be endurable. This, of course, is what the cross signifies. And it is the cross that has called me completely to Christ. See, what we've got to understand is that it's through our pain. It's through our traversing through sin and recognizing how sin has destroyed and even through that pain and even the pain in our life and even the mistakes that we made draws us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Helps us to see the suffering of Christ in a totally different way. That it was through that pain that God got the glory. It was through that pain that Christ won the victory. You see, Jesus came for one reason and one reason only, and that was to come and seek and save that which was lost. That was his purpose. And he came to die. He 
came to die. And through him conquering sin and death on the cross, through his resurrection, it gives every single one of us hope today that even in my pain and in my struggle with sin, my victory comes ultimately through Jesus Christ. That Jesus said, even in this world, in John 16, 33, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome this world. That's the hope that we have. So my hope is in an empty cross this morning. Jesus no longer hangs on that cross. Jesus is alive today and says, I've conquered it for you. Put your hope in me. So this is the way we're going to end the service today. We're going to end it differently than we've ever done it before, okay? So listen to me close. Everybody, everybody put your listening ears on, okay? And just zone in, just lock in with me just for the next couple of minutes. This is how we're going to end the service. I know we took communion last week. And we're like, Pastor, we're taking communion two weeks in a row. Yeah, we are. Well, we're only supposed to take it once a month. Well, we're going to do it different today, okay? So just listen. What I want us to do is, as we close the service and as we worship with the worship team, I want you to have a time with Christ alone today. I want you families to have a time alone with Christ today. Um, I'm not going to lead you uh, in a prayer for communion. I'm not, we're not going to wait to the end to all take it together. This is, this is a time where it's just between you and the Lord. And I thought it was so appropriate to take communion today because the purpose of communion is to remember what Christ has done for us. The purpose, the reason why Jesus instituted this Last Supper was to say, whenever you do this, do this in what? Remembrance of me and what I did for you. And so what I want us to do here as individuals and as families, um, as we, after I pray and as the band begins to lead us just in a wonderful song of worship and what Christ has done for us on the cross, um, you can come forward at your leisure. If you're on this side, you can take communion over here. If you're in the middle, you can take communion here. Those of you can just come up and take communion. And you just take communion yourself. You go back to your seats. If you want to, if families, if you want to pray together as a family, you can do that. Individually, you can pray and, and worship and just take communion at your leisure. Don't wait for me. You can just do it and thank God for what he's done for you. Let me just say this. This can be a very powerful time for many of you right now. Because some of you have walked in this place with some pretty heavy baggage. And Jesus knows it. You've walked in with some really heavy-duty thoughts in your life, maybe from your past, and you just feel like, man, I'm just, I'm heavy today. Or, or maybe you're going through a very difficult trial right now. This can be a very powerful moment for you to allow Christ to help you in this moment of your life, to turn that over to him and to realize that you have the victory through Christ and that he's going to help you walk through this trial to walk through this life and he's not going to let you go. But he says, put your faith in me. Put your hope in me. Let my grace be sufficient for you today. Let my grace be your strength today. And so this can be very powerful. Some of you families in here, you're going through something and you need to pray together as a family. 
Some of you individuals, what you're going through today, you need to give this to the Lord and allow his power to work through your life. Do The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he can give you the strength and the power to do it? Do you believe it? That's the question. So as we pray, um, by all means, not every, not everyone feels free to take me. That's, that's fine. You don't have to. But this is just open for you to come and to worship the Lord and to make this personal between you and Christ. Amen? So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you as sinners needing your grace. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you are not ignorant of our past and our failures. Everything is laid bare before you. So we're not, we're not going to be so foolish as to believe that we can hide anything from you, God. But God, even with all that, you provided for us your very own son. And I pray today for this moment, this very special moment, as we just take communion, as we just... As individuals, just worship you and just allow you to speak into our lives. I pray that you would do a very powerful thing in every heart in this place today, no matter what they're going through, no matter what the trial may be, God, that you would minister to every single individual in this place today. We thank you for your love. Thank you for what communion symbolizes. That it's through your precious blood that we can find forgiveness. That it's through your sacrifice we can be made whole. Thank you. It's all for your glory. So God, just minister to us in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Feel free to come up at any moment. You can take communion. God bless you as you worship with the band. Amen.